This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is Panama Disease. So first of all, glad to be back. Um, I know that I hadn't published a new Irrelevant in a while, so I'm grateful that you're here. I may have lost a couple of you or a lot of you, but for those of you that are sticking around, thanks. And uh, it was a little bit of a tumultuous time, so it just wasn't happening. But it's back now. And yeah, share with your friends and all that good stuff. So Panama disease. This one is a real thing. Not like the other disease named after a Latin American geographical location that's making the rounds and being believed by people who are writing the most audacious piece of collaborative fiction of all time. Nope. Unlike Havana syndrome, Panama disease is very real. And have you ever wanted to be witness to a mass extinction? I mean, aside from the one that's oh so slowly happening right now, this one is happening way faster and it will definitely affect you. Now, I hope I'm not scaring you too badly because you don't have to run for a face mask or a vaccine or anything like that because Panama disease only affects bananas. That's right. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Anyway, let's get on with the show. The first thing you should know about the bananas that you and I eat is that they're not wild bananas. They're a human creation. Selected and bred specifically for taste, size, and seedlessness. <laughs> that last part is especially important because while wild bananas have seeds, actually a whole bunch of seeds, the whole flesh is peppered with seeds and they reproduce like normal plants, the bananas that you and I eat do not have seeds and do not reproduce like normal plants. And that's totally by design or by human manipulation. The way they're reproduced is by grafting a plant to another, but genetically, almost every banana you've eaten is a clone of the one right next to it, and a clone of the one right next to that one, and a clone of the first banana of that type that was ever created. There's very, very, very little genetic variation between them, essentially none. They're what's called a cultivar. This would have been helpful to know when I was younger. Uh, especially when I was submitted to a videos of one Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron who tried to prove God existed by showing how a Cavendish banana was perfectly designed for the human hand. Behold the atheist's nightmare. Now if you study a well-made banana you'll find on the far side there are three ridges. On the close side two ridges. If you get your hand ready to grip a banana you'll find on the far side there are three grooves on the close side two grooves. The banana and the hand are perfectly made one for the other. You'll find the maker of the banana, Almighty God, has made it with a non-slip surface. It has outward indicators of inward contents, green too early, yellow just right, black too late. Now if you go to the top if of the banana, this you'll find as the soda back then. Place to tab the anyway, so it's far. important that we establish that bananas, as you and I know them, are a cultivar because there's always been one dominant cultivar, one banana to rule them all, so to speak. 
And from the 1800s all the way up to the 1950s, the Big Boss banana was a cultivar known as the Gros Michel banana, also known as the Big Mike banana. If you're listening to this, chances are you haven't had a Big Mike banana, but they were larger than the ones you and I know. They weren't as curvy. They were a little more straight. And they had a slightly thicker skin, and they also tasted more like banana than our bananas of today. What I mean by that is that the Big Mikes have a higher concentration of isoamyl acetate, which is the thing that is used as banana flavoring in foods. So, for example, things like banana pudding, that doesn't actually have banana. It has um, banana flavoring, and it's that acetate that there's more of in the Big Mike than in the bananas you and I eat today. So in that sense, it tasted stronger like banana, I guess you could say that. Um, so the Big Mike was ruling strong, being grown all over Central America and the Caribbean, being exported to Europe and North America until a disease hit the Big Mike plantations and just absolutely obliterated the plants and the soil on which they were grown. That disease, Panama disease. Now, Panama disease is a wilting disease caused by a fungus. The way it manifests itself on a banana plant is first the border of its leaves will yellow, and then the petiole, which is essentially the trunk of the plant, will bend, split, and eventually collapse. The tricky thing is that Panama disease can be confused for a normal bacterial wilt, but the difference is with Panama disease, the growing buds or suckers seem to be unaffected, whereas with bacterial wilt, the buds ooze and are just generally gross. Now, I say the buds appear to be unaffected because the buds are actually carrying the disease, they just don't show it. And remember how I mentioned that bananas are cultivars? That means they're all virtually clones of each other, right? They're reproduced asexually by taking one spore or bud from one tree and planting it elsewhere, but they all have virtually the same genetic material. So that means that when one fungus is effective against one plant, that means it's effective against all plants of that cultivar. So when banana disease hit one big mic plant, it really meant all big mic plants were vulnerable to it. Pair that with how these cultivars are reproduced, meaning by planting buds from one plant on the soil and to turn it into another plant, and that those the fact that those buds can hide the disease, and pair that with the fact that this fungus can survive in the soil without banana plants present for up to 30 years, and you'll realize why by the mid-1940s, the banana plantations of Central America were utterly decimated. I mean, there was even a Broadway musical song about it called Yes, We Have No Bananas that highlighted how real this shortage was. Growers were scrambling, the world was running out of bananas, and the Big Mike was dead. Until a new, stronger banana was born, one that was resistant to Panama disease, our great hero, the Cavendish cultivar. So Cavendish bananas are the ones that you and I know and potentially love. 
They're slightly curved, yellow, sweet. Most of the bananas we see in U.S. stores are Cavendish. Yes, even Chiquita bananas. They're just a slight variation of Cavendish. They're a whole separate cultivar, a cousin to the Big Mike. They're actually genetically different from the Big Mike. And they had actually entered mass production way back in 1903. But because of the dominance of Big Mike, they weren't really popular. But with Panama disease wiping them out and the soil being literally unusable for decades to grow Big Mike, in came the Cavendish banana. And much to the delight of growers everywhere, it was thriving where Panama disease had ruined the Big Mike banana. So the world was saved, right? Everyone could let bananas spoil in their homes once again, because where the Big Mike reigned, now the Cavendish reigns. And I don't know if I can understate what a success the Cavendish banana is. I mean, 47% of the world's population of bananas is Cavendish. And whereas the Big Mike thrived in the Americas, the Cavendish banana is grown all over the world, including Malaysia, Vietnam, India, and China, with, of course, the American growing Cavendish bananas all over Central America, South America. Not only that, but because... But Cavendish bananas, because of their shape and size, in addition to being featured in Kirk Cameron's anti-atheist videos, are also prominently featured in sex ed classes throughout the USA to demonstrate how to properly apply a condom, which has made it the center of the most embarrassing day of school for countless of middle schoolers for decades, and that alone makes it a cultural touchstone. So, there we go. The world had a delicious banana cultivar the Gross Michel or Big Mike, a freak fungus came and nearly wiped all of them out. But we had developed another cultivar, the Cavendish, and now all the world was safe from a banana wiping fungi forever. Except for one little word that we're all too familiar with, that word being variant. In 1989, on the island of Taiwan, a variant for the fungus that causes Panama disease was found. This variant was named TR4, or Tropical Race 4. And TR4 was found to share all the same characteristics as the original Panama disease. The ability to lay dormant in the soil, to spread silently, all of it, except it was successfully attacking the Cavendish cultivar which up to this point had been resistant to the original Panama disease. So upon this discovery, the banana growers of the world knew that it was only a matter of time before it spread to every other Cavendish plantation in the world. By the 2000s, TR4 had made its way to Australia. Finally, in August of 2019, Authorities in Colombia confirmed that TR4 had found its way to the Americas, confirming the worst fears of growers everywhere, and the clock started ticking down. It's not really a matter of if, but when all Cavendish plants are taken out by TR4 and the soil, making it so that you can't grow another Cavendish banana anywhere where TR4 has been present. 
and TR4 is hardy. No fungicides work against it really, quarantining fields hasn't worked. Scientists are trying to find ways to make this cultivars resistant to TR4 but have largely failed. I mean, they're out there in remote jungles trying to find new varieties of bananas that can be bred to be resistant to TR4. They're even trying to just straight up genetic engineer new bananas, which by the way, isn't legal in all countries, uh, but they're still trying to do it. So they're not just selectively breeding, they're actually going in there and messing with banana genes directly. But turns out that it's super hard to make a banana that's resistant to TR4 and tastes good and ripens predictably and travels well and can be grown in quantities large enough so as to be profitable. So for all intents and purposes, we're on a countdown to the Cavendish banana going the way of the Big Mike and just ending. So I guess what I'm trying to say is enjoy your bananas while you can. Because in a few years, we may not be eating them anymore. And your children will probably not be eating the same kind of banana you and I are eating right now. Because we are witnessing the mass extinction of the Cavendish cultivar. You and I, we're going through it right now. And again, this is all because of a lack of biodiversity. Every banana we eat is a clone. They're all virtually exactly the same. That was originally a strength of the cultivar. However, what was its greatest strength when adversity and illness stepped in made it its greatest weakness. The fact that it's a monoculture doomed it. A lack of diversity kills. I don't want to say more than that. Enjoy your bananas while you can, and maybe now you'll think twice about letting them rot. That's it for this week's episode of The Irrelevant. I am so glad to be back. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Irrelevant Pods. Um, but... Yeah, thank you guys so much. See you next time. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.